Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Natalie Palomides grew up in a small western Pennsylvania town, but could not be contained by convention or conventional wisdom. After an internship with Conan during college, she trained with the Pig Iron Theater Company in Philadelphia, then headed to Hollywood to work with the Upright Citizens Brigade and other theater groups in Los Angeles. You've heard her voice on TV as Buttercup in the Cartoon Network's Powerpuff Girls. In 2017, Palominas took the Edinburgh Fringe by storm with her first show, Laid, winning the Best Newcomer Award, and she returned the following summer with an ambitious follow-up called Nate. Both shows were co-directed by celebrated clown Dr. Brown. Palomitas, meanwhile, was named one of Time Out LA's 10 Comedians to Watch in 2019. Let's hear all about her, then. So let's get to it! So, Natalie Palomitas. Hello, Palomides? Sean. Palomitas. Palomitas, Palomides. People say it differently. What do you say? My family says Palomitas, but my dad's cousins say Palomides. So... Whatever you want to say is fine. Uh, what any, whatever anybody wants to say. Whatever yuns want to do. Ah, um, are you from Pittsburgh? My, okay, so whenever I meet comedians from Pittsburgh, they're always from Pittsburgh. Um, my mom is from Charleroi. I know Charleroi. I'm yes. from outside of, uh, outside of Pittsburgh, suburbs, so I know Charleroi. Well, you're, you're from a town that's just like over the hill from the Mon Valley, right? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, it's called uh, Peters Township. Okay. Um, it's in the South Hills. So, yeah, yeah it's a little bubble. But well, it's nice to grow up there, yeah. So, how did, how did growing up in that part of southwestern Pennsylvania, like, inform your creative mm, spark? I think probably because there's nothing really to do. So you just had to kind of make your own fun. I mean, they got some stuff going on. They got a mall. I don't really know. <laughs> South Hills Mall does not yeah. qualify as creative. Yeah. My or spark. It does not spark joy, as Marie Kondo would say. Yeah. My, my friend and I, growing up, we would often walk to the dairy bar mm-hmm. and get ice cream, which is like a small grocery store. Or we play like with our dolls or we had a tree swing in our backyard, so we had to use our imaginations a lot. We'd always make videos, you know. With and the, then you also chose to go to school in kind of rural Pennsylvania. As yeah, well, right? Indiana University of Pennsylvania. I love how that part of Pennsylvania has Indiana. It has an Indiana, a California, and a Washington. I know. What are they doing? <laughs> they're they're just trying to confuse everyone. They I are. guess. Yeah. But from there, you got an internship with Conan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I interned with Conan my junior year of, of college, and uh, I worked mostly in the props department. Now, was he still with NBC at the time or with TBS? He was. It was his first summer at TBS. So he had just... He just moved. So the atmosphere there must have been... Kind of wild. The uh, birth of Team Coco. Yeah, it was the birth of Team Coco, I guess. Yeah, I I guess I didn't know any differently because, you know, I was new and uh, they had so many interns um, my summer there that I 
kind of invented a position. There wasn't really a props intern. Really? But I was like, I'm bored out of my freaking mind. So I went down to work with Bill and John in props. <laughs> and they let me do stuff. I went on a run to get a, a chin dildo mm-hmm. one time called The Accommodator. That was that was a memorable moment. One time I got in trouble for going on a drug run mm. for one of the musical guests. I went to get <laughs> weed. And they were like, never go get drugs. Like, if somebody asks you, you have to tell us. And I was like, I didn't know. I just thought you were supposed to, like, you know, do what people ask of you. Right. So you want to make the guests happy. Yeah, exactly. So I went to Santa Monica, and I met this guy named Dave Dirty Jersey. Um, Wait, but Conan, they, they're in Burbank on the Warner. Yeah. Warner yeah. Brothers Studio in Burbank. So you went from Burbank all the way to Santa Monica? Yeah. The the horn section of this one band, they pulled me aside and they're like, hey, can you go get us some weed? Mm-hmm. Here's the address. Here's the guy's phone number. And I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, I did feel kind of cool, you know, like breaking. Well, it was before weed was like legal, you know. Right. And you're a girl from Pennsylvania. The sticks of Pennsylvania. Yeah. It felt bad. It felt so, had you been, so bad, but so good. Had you been to Hollywood or California before? Uh, California, California, not California, Pennsylvania. I had I had visited because my boyfriend at the time lived in California. Okay. Yes, so I was in a long-distance relationship <laughs> during my college years, and he lived here. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like one of those... Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't one of those starry-eyed... Girl from the sticks comes to Hollywood and goes, oh, look at all of this. I was definitely excited. Yes. Mm. I mean, it was a little bit of that. I had Hollywood painted on my bedroom wall <laughs> when I was a kid. I wanted to move here so badly. God knows why, you know, just so I could, like, be on Nickelodeon. I wanted to be on all that, you know, but who didn't, right? I don't know. I mean, and all that's coming back, so. It is. Shut up. Yeah, so there's when. There's a chance. <laughs> There's a There's chance. There's still, still a chance I could get to be on all that. Well, you know, they brought Powerpuff Girls back. They did. That's true. Yeah, they bring so back not, the classics. Why not all that as well? Why not? Yeah. Was there a particular reason why you picked Conan for an internship? Uh, it was the coolest one mm-hmm. that I got. Was it? <laughs> so you applied for others? Oh, yeah. I applied for so many internships. Yeah. But that was definitely the, the coolest one. The coolest what one. did you what, what's the process like for applying for it's hell I mean anybody who's ever applied for an internship I mean it's so competitive and you just got to write a bunch of cover letters and submit online or through the mail and make phone calls and yeah because it's a show business internship do they care about your grades or I think they do yeah, I think they do look at, like, your GPA and stuff. They have you submit it for most internships, okay. yeah. I wasn't sure if it's because it's a creative industry if they're more interested in what your portfolio is. or. I think they probably look at both. Okay. They probably take it all into consideration, you know. Yeah. What kind of entertainer were you like in college? In college, so uh, similar to... Now, or I guess I kind of like found my voice or way of working in college. I had this really awesome professor. His name's Rick Kemp. Mm-hmm. And he taught us devised theater and clowning and commedia dell'arte and like kind of, you know, absurd ways of like working in, in theater, like really physical 
ways of working. And so I kind of brought that in to the way I work now. He introduced me actually to, um, there's a theater company in Philadelphia called the Pig Iron Theater Company. Okay. Uh, they did a residency at my school for like a semester and taught us to vise theater and melodrama and uh, clowning and all that stuff. And I, I worked with them during my senior year devising a play. So they actually influenced the way I work a lot, too. Okay. And they come from, um, they all studied Lecoq which is like a, a school of like clowning and physical theater and mime and, okay. and movement. Um, yeah. So a lot, most of like my comedy is, is in influenced, I think a lot by the pig iron theater company. Yeah. So are you a fan of, uh, Zach Galifianakis his show baskets? Oh, I do. I love baskets. Yeah. I love Louis Anderson on that show. He just like fully commits, yeah. but I don't know if the clown... But the conceit of his taking the French clowning and then becoming a rodeo clown and how those are completely different worlds. Yeah. Especially when you say the word clown to people, they get preconceived notions of Ringling Brothers or... Exactly. Or horror movies or... Yeah, exactly. And it's not the case at all. A no. lot of clowns don't even wear red noses. Like Charlie Chaplin's a clown. Three Stooges are clowns. Lucille Ball, Carol Burnett, the Marx Brothers. Um, those are all... Bill Irwin clowns. is kind of... Bill, Bill Irwin, yeah, exactly. modern... Steve clowns. Martin, even people consider a clown. Steve Martin. Steve Martin. <laughs> um, I'm familiar with his oeuvre. Yeah, but actually one of my clown teachers, he does not appreciate at all the take on clown in baskets. Oh. But I like it. <laughs> you got to take it with a grain of salt, you know. So you study with them in Philadelphia after school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I worked with them. I studied with them. with them in school, yeah. And what was the game plan then? Sorry, I just noticed your shirt. I don't mean to get ADD. Yeah. Did you work at Conan? No. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm wearing what a was the, shirt. Okay, what was the game plan? What was the game yeah. plan is the question. Did you have one? Uh, well, I told my theater teacher, Rick, the one who like introduced me to this stuff, that I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. And he okay. was like, how do you do that? You know, what's your plan? He asked me the same question. I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. I'm going to study at the Groundlings. I'm going to be a groundling <laughs> and then I'll get on SNL. I was like, I read like an article online mm-hmm. or something like, this is how you do it. Or like, this is how s- like Will Ferrell did it or Will Forte, you know, like Kristen Wiig. Kristen Wiig. Those are yeah. how those people like made their path. But then, you know, once I, so once I got to LA, I, I signed up for like every comedy class mm-hmm. at all the schools you know, I.O. West, R.I.P., um, Groundlings, UCB, and uh, this kind of like clown school called the Idiot Workshop okay. out here. So I did like all of those and kind of just found my way through that through UCB. And then through the Idiot Workshop, we created a group called Wet the Hippo. Okay. Um, like a little, we had like a little clown group. So Idiot Workshop ended up being the one out of those that stuck? Uh, well, I had already done, like, clowning before I came to L.A. Right. But I did stick also with UCB. Like, I was on Mod Night at okay. UCB. What um, was your first for, Mod like, team? Four years. Uh, my first Mod team was Eastwood. 
Who was on that? Who was on that? Ellie Woods, um, Yakman Reek, I think Matt Cordova, um, uh, Allison Agosti, Melissa Hunter. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Veronica Osario. Oh, yeah. Um, all my teams are blending together in my head right now. Sure. Uh, 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 Marcus Ray. Um, yeah, the, that's what I can remember off the top of my head. Nicole Herb, I think. So when you're on a mod team at UCB, do you feel like, okay, I'm in the system. It's not groundlings, but I'm still in a place where I know that Lauren Michaels and the casting people are going to come through. Oh, yeah. And, and that game plan can still work. Yeah, yeah, the game plan can still work. I mean, once I came out to L.A., I realized that, like, Groundlings wasn't the only avenue. And, um, right, yeah. things have changed since the 90s. There yeah, three, more, things have changed. But now I think, you know, I don't have an avenue to <laughs> to SNL. So I think my maybe my brand of comedy is a little bit... Well, the the first time that I saw you was at... Just for Laughs. Oh, yeah. When you did New Faces characters. I didn't know you saw that. Which has become kind of, and I think this is intentional on Montreal's part, has become kind of a a scouting place for SNL as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you felt that when you were there... That there was a sense of oh, if we do well here. Oh yeah, there's always the- talks about all the. Everyone's always talking about that. Like, did you hear so and so like went to JFL and then they got flown out for mm-hmm. to test for SNL? Yeah, so there's always like little murmurs of but that. But your your performance at that New Faces character was so over the top. <laughs> I wrote this in my like review of it. It was like the most ambitious, most over the top ah. set that. Thanks, John. I'll take it as a compliment. Yeah. Cool. No, it was like, it's like, yeah, well, everybody's doing their thing. And then you were like at a a level far above what everybody else was doing. Uh, I like to make it really theatrical. Especially the way your characters kind of weaved into each other. Yeah, I don't like doing blackouts. Right. Yeah. (laughs) The other way, it it made everybody else seem so (laughs) amateurish. Oh, my gosh. Well, everybody else is a, is a superstar. Well, but no. I appreciate you saying that. But it is, I do like to, uh, in, in everything that I do, every piece that I make, even, like, for stand-up shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I like to bring some sort of theatricality to it. And I don't like to ever really, um, like, break the... Uh, uh, suspension of disbelief, or I like to keep the audience in the world of the of whatever they're watching. Um, yeah, so that's why I didn't want to do any blackouts, and it kind of blackouts always kill the momentum. You know, you got to ride it like a wave. You got to get a, a little wave, and then a bigger wave, and then you gotta you gotta ride it till you're back on shore. You know what I mean? But if you if you keep you know, having a blackout in between every yeah. character, then it's like hopping off your surfboard every time. So that first night in Montreal when you performed, what? How did you feel? Oh, I thought I did a good job. I thought it was fun. How yeah. did you feel about the? How was your overall experience though in Montreal? Was it? It's nerve wracking, you know, because the there's that big space that you're isn't it like 500 people that yeah, theater it was in the, Mon- the national monument theater yeah, yeah it pretty it's, big. it's pretty big so it's nerve-wracking for sure and everyone's like oh there's agents <laughs> and 
scouts and casting directors in the audience. Did you have representation at that point? I did. I had just got them. So my um, my agent, Taryn, she had been like, you know, looking out for me in the comedy scene. So uh, before I was offered to go to Montreal, she offered to... um, offered me representation okay. and I had liked her a lot because she had like actually gotten to know me, you know, and wasn't just like hopping on my D cause I was going to judge for laughs or whatever. Didn't just see it felt genuine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It felt genuine. Yeah. Had you gotten the Powerpuff girls? I had been on Powerpuff girls already when I was 25 is when I first started Powerpuff girls. And mm-hmm. then I think I was 26 when I went to Montreal yeah. Did did that make it easier going to such a big festival like that, knowing you you already had a steady gig and it wasn't uh, like this was going to be a make or break moment for you? I guess. Well, you know what? Uh, as far as like steady gigs go, it helped me to take like um, to focus on my art more. Like I didn't really worry about money when I was ever whenever I was like looking to buy costumes or whatever whenever I've been developing my solo shows I've been lucky enough to have steady enough gigs where I can just be like yeah I need to buy like a baby pool or a motorcycle or a mannequin or just to try it out you know so I'm lucky enough to like have the funds to to like fully explore my artistic vision (laughs) But yeah, also I guess I I choose to spend my money on dumb stuff like <laughs> little motorcycles, but Well, it's not dumb if it serves the character. Yes, exactly. It serves the piece. Mhm. Yeah, exactly. Serves the piece. But uh, I don't think I tr- really answered your question. Well, there's other people who when they go to Montreal for the first time um maybe they have representation, maybe they don't, but mm. they, but a lot of them still might have day jobs. And they're thinking of this as, oh, this could really make my career uh-huh. because of all those agents and casting people in the in the audience. Yeah, I think it having that steady gig did did give me a sense of security. But on the flip side, probably so many actors or you know artists feel this way. I'm always afraid I'm going to be fired. Mm. But that's the way Hollywood is. Just because, you know, you hear stories about, like, oh, so-and-so got recast. And, like, even, like, uh, I just watched the first episode of Game of Thrones Mm -hmm. last night. And uh, somebody was telling me that uh, Daenerys got recast, you know, after they shot the pilot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. That is so scarring. To be cast as Daenerys and then they take it away from your ass. And it's like, was the first Daenerys, like that bad like what'd she do that she's like what why why they had to recast her i mean they go through so many rounds to cast somebody for a freaking pilot you know what i mean it's like after like 50 callbacks you know anyways but that's just the way that that is something following the industry that that i'm always amazed at where you'll see something in the trade publications and they'll go after the first table read they've decided to yeah. Like, it's what nuts. did that person do at the table read? I know. Yeah, so but sometimes they don't do anything. But see your performance at JFL was like the one with the least amount of fear. Ah, thank well when I'm on stage, yeah, I well I'm making my own thing. It's mm-hmm. like I don't have to worry about pleasing anybody else when I'm on stage because I made it. 
so I know what I'm wanting to do. But, it, you know, I'm not walking into every gig like scared off my ass. I'm going to be fired. You know, it's just like a little bit. of. Had you done a one person there. show before? No. no. Oh, well, yeah, I actually. So um, maybe like a few months before JFL, I threw up like a half hour, one hour show of like a few characters strung together. Okay. But, but my, it wasn't like Laid. No, yeah, like Laid was my first like fully like conceptualized solo show. Yeah. And did part of that come out of the character? No, uh, no. The character I do in Laid was like completely new. Okay. Yeah. What What made you decide after Montreal to to focus on Edinburgh? Uh, well, you know what? When I first made Laid, I didn't even know I would go to Edinburgh. I didn't know Edinburgh was a thing. You didn't know it was a thing? No, I just wanted to make a solo show. And my clown teacher, um, Dr. Brown, uh, I asked him if he wanted to make something. And he's like, how about you make a solo show? And I'll, I'll help you How did you meet through. Dr. Brown? Through um, the clown scene. So my clown teacher at the Idiot Workshop, mm-hmm. his name's John Gilkey. He knew Phil. So Dr. Brown's name is Phil. Um, <laughs> and uh, he knew Phil, I guess, from the clown scene. It's like, <laughs> how many times am I going to say clown scene? Uh, but, uh, yeah, and then I saw his character's Netflix special. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, after I, so I, John had brought Phil into like one of our wet the hippo rehearsals, but I was like sick that day. But I had remembered John being like, you got to meet this guy, Dr. Brown. Um, but I was like sick that day. So I didn't go to rehearsal and I was like, oh, oh well, didn't meet him. And then <laughs> saw his special on Netflix. And then at the same time saw on my Facebook that he was teaching a workshop at Lyric Hyperion Theater. Oh, okay. Which with- is right around the corner from where... You are. Yeah, and it's yeah. where I workshop all my shows now, and uh, he actually owns the theater now, oh. which is a, a nonprofit. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so it's come a long way. and. Um, Did it take a lot of convincing on his part to get you to think about Edinburgh? No, I really wanted to do Edinburgh. Actually, he didn't even mention Edinburgh to me. One of our mutual friends was like, have you ever thought about doing Edinburgh? And I was like, no, what's that? And he was like... Uh, Phil's done Edinburgh like he could tell you a lot about it so then I asked Phil I was like should I take this Edinburgh and he was like yeah he's like I I you know he I think he said like I was gonna mention it to you or whatever but whenever I had decided I was gonna do it you know he asked me are you sure this is the show you want to take to Edinburgh because you're gonna have to do it like a hundred times right you know, he's like, are you sure this is a show? And I'm like, I think so. Like, I think it's good. Like, I don't know. Like, how much should you question yourself? And But I was like, I just told him, yeah, I like this show. I want to take this show. And so I did. And Phil really helped me out. He hooked me up with like. I was going to say, because he had already won prizes. He won the, all the prizes. Yeah. He knew, so he knew his way around that scene. Mm-hmm. So. As opposed to many comedians from New York or L.A. who go to Edinburgh for the first time and might be overwhelmed by it, you probably well, had the inside track on at least yeah. how to get through that overwhelming. I had a leg up for sure. I mean, I was still overwhelmed, so I can't imagine what it's like to not have the kind of support I did and go for the first time because I had so much support 
thanks to Phil and, and the Soho Theater, who I met through Phil. And, um, yeah, but Edinburgh is nuts, you know. it's just, Have you been? No, I have not been yet. Oh, but you got to go. Everyone I talk to. It's, you should go write reviews. The, the, the thought of, well, there's the thought of putting on the show for a month. Mm-hmm. But then you're competing with hundreds of other shows. Yeah. For the same audience. Yeah, it's And you insane. have to, unless you have one of the two or three main theaters, mm-hmm. you have to do all of your promotion. Yeah. Too. So it's, that can be draining. Even if you are at, um, what they call them the big four, mm-hmm. uh, even if you are at one of those big four theaters or whatever, you're still, if you're, especially if you're a new artist, like, you know, I would fly her every day before my show in my egg costume. I start the show as like a big egg and I would stand in the big egg like out in the Pleasance Courtyard flyering and I would dance for people and then hand them a flyer or blow them a kiss and hand them a flyer, you know, so there's different flyering techniques. Did, what was the immediate reception? The immediate reception, oh my gosh, well, a, a lot of it was positive, but there were a few that were like, not scarring, but maybe it felt scarring at the time. Like, you know, to, well, for me as a, like a perfectionist and somebody who also like worked really hard on that show, like to get a three-star review is like gut-wrenching, you know? So I got like a three-star review in the Scotsman and the woman said that I was making light of fertility issues and I'm like, I was I was crushed. I was like, that's not what I'm trying to do. And, you know, it's, so to get like a bad review it is hard. But and that came I, in the beginning of the month. That was that was about halfway through. But the Scotsman is like a pretty big, uh, you know, paper that people look to for reviews. But then also I had like, so in LA, like where everybody knows me and when I was workshopping the show, the first 10 minutes of the show is all silent. And, um, you know, I was getting laughs, a lot of laughs during the first 10 minutes of the show when I was in LA, I think as people know and trust that I'm, I'm funny or, you know, but in Edinburgh where nobody knew me and had just bought a ticket, you know, based on word of mouth or, or they saw you as the egg in the courtyard or they saw me as the egg, you know, they just bought a ticket on, mm-hmm. on Goodwill or whatever they we're sitting through the first 10 minutes of my show like, oh, no, what did I buy a ticket to? And I think even, I think somebody, maybe the time in the Times wrote, uh, in the UK wrote mm-hmm. a review saying, like, the first 10 minutes makes you scared. Like, you know what I just said, like, mm-hmm. that you bought a ticket to the show. But then it kind of kicks in. There's a point where the show kicks in. So it was nice that he said it kicked in, I guess. <laughs> but hang, hang on. Yeah, yeah, hang on. I think he something said something like, "You're sweating, like wondering what you bought a ticket to, or so, something like that." Yeah. So I probably went off on a tangent Did there, you, but do you? Is there part of you as a performer that likes keeping the audience on edge? Yeah, I do like that. I like so. <laughs> yeah. So I, even though, <laughs> even though they. Because you know in your head, okay... Just wait. Yeah, just wait. It's going to kick in, yeah. But they so, don't know. They don't know. Unless it's all, they've read a review that 
that says everything. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, reviews shouldn't tell everything, right? You know, you yeah. write reviews. But, um, uh, yeah, it's all about the build, you know, and sometimes if they sit in, like, a really quiet part or that you let the tent, you know, sometimes the awkwardness, you know, causes a lot of tension to build, and the more tension you have, the 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 bigger the break is, right, you know, the and then the bigger the yeah. laugh, you know, so... Sometimes it's good to just have them sit there for 10 minutes not knowing what the fuck they walked right. into. Right. Well, I mean, you went from that three-star review in the Scotsman to getting Best Newcomer. That's right. So yeah. you convinced enough of the other people. That's true. Yeah. So, lucky me. Did, that, did winning that award kind of, like, make you fall in love with Edinburgh and the U.K. and go... Oh, this is where my crowd is. Well, definitely, like... Forget 30 Rock in New York (laughs) City. It's really all about the UK. Well, it helped me to see that I do have an audience, and the UK is definitely appreciative of really, like, theatrical, absurd comedy, so I did feel, like, very welcomed there, and, like, I had a home, and, you know, that somebody, like, appreciates what I do, especially because, like, my mom tells me my comedy is, like, porn. (laughs) She's like so embarrassed, but well, there. Is, I mean, there is some form of nudity in, at some point. Oh yeah, during some of the sh- not in laid. There's no nudity. No. Yeah, but in Nate, yes. How did you? How did you decide on the follow up on Nate being the follow up? Well, I had created Nate actually at a workshop with Pig Iron. Okay. Um, the character or the character or the, of okay. Nate. Uh, the, the first bit I did with Nate was like all silent. We were, we were doing a workshop playing with drag characters. So all my characters were male and we were also playing with using melodrama. So, um, I created Nate and, um, did a scene with him just like sitting, watching TV, you know, pantomiming, watching TV. And I chugged like a two liter bottle of soda and just kept burping, but it was all silent and other kinda, than the burps. Yeah, other than the burps, okay. and kind of like built the burps, but it was just kind of sad, like sad guy watching TV burping, chugging soda. That didn't make it into the show. No, so I don't know why. Now that I'm talking about <laughs> it, jeez. Yeah, but um. So how did you decide to retool? To yeah. retool? Okay, so when I got back from Edinburgh, um, Soho Theater and Phil. They're asking me, like, are you going to make another show for next year? Because, like, the crazy thing about Edinburgh, and I don't know how all these U.K. artists do it, but they make a show. Once you're done with Edinburgh, like, doing, you know, a month straight, you got to start working on a new show for the next year. Right. So I took it's, a, it's like they can't take a year off. They're addicted to... Yeah, it's just Edinburgh. a part of it there. It's, if you're a comedian there, you got to, like, hustle and make a show every year for Edinburgh. But if you, but if you win one of the top prizes usually then other festivals want you to do the show uh-huh. there yeah and you're traveling so to australia yep laid throughout the year yep you keep doing your shows throughout and then the when year you have the time to start a new show that's the question and that's where you get a little bit burnout and then you need to go you know take some supplements <laughs> and um, take a little vacation mm-hmm. but so when i got back from edinburgh in 2017 i did want to go back to edinburgh the next year um, cuz i had so much fun and you know i did a good job and um 
I did. So Phil directs this show at Lyric called The Incubator. It's a group show with a, a bunch of different artists. And it's like a boot camp show where um, uh, it's five nights of the week in a row. And on the first night of the week, you try a new bit. Mm-hmm. And each night, you refine your bit. You, you put it up in front of the audience every night. And um, eventually, everybody's bits are woven together. And there's callbacks. And it's kind of like this, like intertwined variety show that oh. we've all helped each other, you know, curate and develop. Yeah. From Monday to, to uh, Saturday. Okay. And, uh, and uh, so I thought it'd be fun to, oh, well, Phil asks us to do something that we feel is risky. Um, so I, I thought, oh, I've never like wrestled anyone before on stage. And I thought that felt risky and mm-hmm. inspired by Andy Kaufman, you know? So yeah. I was like, what would be a good character to wrestle with? And I thought, oh, neat, you know? So I did a 10 minute bit where I wrestled someone from the audience and it went over so well that I was like, I think I got to make my new hour show. How did you decide me. who to pick from the audience? Did you pick somebody uh, that you knew would would look funny mm-hmm. like the the two of you fighting or someone who well a little bit you felt like yeah how do you pick who do you, who you well who you wrestle with i kind of make it hard for myself so first i ask uh, this is a spoiler by the way if mm-hmm. anybody's going to see the oh. the hour show cuz it's in there okay but uh spoiler alert mm-hmm. i'll tell you so i ask if anybody's in a relationship mm-hmm. And I ask them to raise their hands. Then from those couples, I pick one of those couples. Um, and uh, one of the people in the couple is, is the person who I end up um, wrestling. wrestling. Yeah. But uh, so I, I kind of make it and hard for myself. Specific. No, no. Okay. Yeah. Um, Some uh, doesn't have to be, right. I guess. Yeah. So, so that's the first successful Nate bit. That was the first successful Nate bit. Where did you go from there to make it an hour? Yeah. You can't just have a full wrestling. No, you can't. So I just came up with a, I like to start from images. Mm-hmm. So I just like came up with a bunch of different images I wanted to try. And I was definitely in crisis about it. You know, there were times when I met up with Phil and I was like, I don't have any good ideas. And he'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, you have like. I had, like, chopping wood, uh, showering in the locker room, mm-hmm. uh, Nate after a breakup, Nate falling in love, Nate proposing. Uh, and so, like, some of these images I'll come up with, like, a little outline for. Like, I'll beat out, like, an idea of, like, a five- to ten-minute piece to try out. And I'll throw it up around shows around town, like at stand-up shows, lineup shows, you know. Or I will have a night down at the Lyric Hyperion, like an hour-long free show okay. where I invite people to come. Um, just so you can workshop. Just so I can workshop. Because I like to workshop in front of the audience. Because clown, I'd say like my work is like a mashup of character and clowning, but I do interact so much with the audience and feed off of them a lot. So to develop something without the audience there is like kind of pointless and not so fun right yeah so that's what i kind of do i keep throwing up bits and like i fail a lot and i mean there was one time where like i didn't really go up with any idea well i did have some ideas i i wanted to try beating somebody up 
and um, I wanted to try like having sex with with a girl, and I I knew that I couldn't really do that with audience members, like. You know, I do wrestle someone, but I couldn't actually, like, brutally kick someone's ass. So I got, like, a male mannequin and a female mannequin, and I brought them on stage with me that night, but I didn't really know what to do with them. Are those the mannequins that I see outside? Or oh, yeah, there, a is, there is a mannequin outside. Yeah, that, that's one from, the, okay. from Nate. Yeah. <laughs> My yard is, like, totally well, you, psycho you right like, now. like, collecting lots of things I was... Can say like well, where do you keep it all? Uh, the, you have a special storage locker. Well, I have a shed in uh, at the Lyric Hyperion. Your prop shed. Yeah, prop shed, and they let me keep it. Okay. In well, their backyard. Good. Yeah, but I'm actually gonna move it out here so I can. Okay. It can be a little more convenient, but yeah, Does I got. I mean that you have to drive like a, either like a hatchback or or <sighs> like a. I mean, an SUV. Like? I've been thinking about getting a pickup truck, to be yeah. honest, because. It's, I'm always when getting... Have, when you have that much props, you have to... You have to have a pickup truck. But yeah. right now I have, uh, as my aunt likes to say, a detective car. <laughs> it's a 2007 Toyota Camry, oh. and it runs great. Okay. So I just like... Not a lot like, of trunk space, though. No, the trunk space is terrible. Do the mannequins fit in the back seat? Well, this mannequin, she um, is cut in half. Oh, okay. She splits into two pieces, yeah. That's so good for portability. Yeah, good for portability. I did have to like smash a wrestling mat in there, and sometimes I have to make multiple trips. Now, also in the summer and fall of 2017, mm-hmm. that's when the Me Too movement started to yeah. So pick that- up momentum, and so doing a show about a wrestling burping. Guy. Toxic masculine uh, yeah. dude. Yeah, it felt. Did that, did that influence where you took Nate? Yes, it did. And I even like with all those ideas that you had. That Dr. Brown said you have all these ideas, but oh yeah, that I thought were terrible. Well, like also a lot of them were scary to try. Like mm-hmm. I tried like a couple of the scenes I tried out were like literally just what like Harvey Weinstein or Louis C.K. did, where I like jerked. I like brought somebody up from the audience and I was like welcome to my hotel room we're gonna Mm. read a scene together and then I like typed up some dumb scene that I like was reading with them and then I just started like jerking off with my big stretchy dick didn't make the cut um and then like there there was another scene where like Nate set up a bar and I offered somebody a drink and then like poured a bunch of tic tacs in their drink that did not get a laugh that did not work, and I was like, okay. I even tried it a couple times because I was like, oh, maybe this will make it work, and it's like, no, nope, that never works. Uh, yeah, it's just even, not even funny. Hearing stand-ups in twenty in the middle of twenty nineteen make Bill Cosby jokes, you still get a weird reaction from the audience. Yeah, but you gotta find there's like a sweet spot where the audience knows you're not making fun of like the victims. You know, but yeah, so the scary part is like trying to find that spot where everyone feels safe to laugh and mm-hmm. you know that you're punching up and not down, you know. So, did UK audiences react to Nate different than audiences in LA? Mm, actually, no, they act pretty similarly to, to Nate. Okay. Um, I would say, like, definitely in the UK. There's a certain, there's a scene 
where I present a question to the audience, and I will say I get uh, like different pers like. What am I trying to say? There's a bigger fraction of the pie. There's a bigger percentage of people that answer one way in the UK where, like, there's a smaller percentage of people that answer that way in L.A. Okay. Then you, if that makes sense at all. Well, yeah. I ask because, you you know, you're going to be doing both shows for week-long runs in New York this mm -hmm. summer. Yeah. And you haven't done them in New York. No, I haven't. So, so yeah. I guess why why do both of them now? Because late is a couple years. Yeah, late is a couple years so old. So why go back and why go back and revisit them now? And what do you what do you hope to to find out about yourself and about the shows? Oh, now? to find out. I mean, I just love performing the shows. I have so much fun doing them, and I also just really wanted to perform to New York. I don't know. I wanted to perform in New York. I'm not sure if I'm lear uh, looking to learn anything about myself, uh, but I'm sure that I will. You know, you always learn something about yourself that you didn't know and, and how people are in different places. And, yeah, people always react differently. And uh, culture is real, you know. <laughs> the culture, culture is real and... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't have, like, the luxury of, like, kind of sussing out the crowd there like I do in Edinburgh or London or Australia where mm -hmm. I do, like, month-long runs, you know? Right, because so, it's just three or four Yeah, yeah, I'm just show. doing three nights of each show. So I don't have the luxury to kind of suss out the crowds there, but I guess, like, yeah, what I like to learn most from, like, traveling my shows is, like, learning the, the people. I, I just love making people laugh. And I love, like, making myself laugh and have fun, you know, doing it. And I like, um, you know, sp spreading my art around or, you know, maybe that is egotistical. But, uh, I, yeah, I just wanted to perform somewhere I had never been before and a lot of people often ask me why I had never, you know, brought my shows to New York. So I was like, yeah, I don't know why I've never brought them there. I've always yeah. always wanted to. And they are very theatrical. And, you know, New York's a, a theater town, so I, I hope people no, like it. they often bring Edinburgh shows. To New York. To New York. Oh, okay. Huh. For, for limited runs. Oh, well, here you go. Yeah. I don't know why now. I guess it does seem a bit delayed, huh? <laughs> Yeah. It, right, it, especially since we're coming up on 2019 Edinburgh. We're coming up, yeah. My roommate... So it seemed like you would be on the next show. Well, I needed instead. a break, yeah. So you're taking a break this year from Edinburgh. I'm taking a break from Edinburgh this year. My roommate, Courtney Peroso, she's actually taking a solo show oh, nice. um, this year, so I'm proud of her for doing that. What advice are you giving her for, I'm, for Edinburgh? Uh, I'm telling her to to you know follow her fun like do whatever she thinks is fun and and what excites her she's still in the process of developing her show so okay. sometimes like you know in the morning she'll be like how about this if i try this and you know if i see that she's excited about it i'm like yeah go for it and then if i can kind of see that she like isn't really so into an idea i'll just ask her again like do you really feel stoked on that idea you know and then 
But a lot of the times you also just have to throw up an idea. Like usually you won't be very excited about an idea and then you put it up and you're like, oh, that actually really worked really well. So that's the advice you give your roommate. What would what would the advice be to a teenager in Peter's Township? An advice to a teenager in Peter's Township? Uh, or, or Manesson or Denora. Oh, or, whoa. I would say like uh, follow your passion. Maybe. Similar advice. Yeah, yeah, follow your the fun. Follow your fun because, you know, I know a lot of, well, I don't actually know a lot of people, but I hear about a lot of people stuck in gigs that they're not happy doing, and it, it brings down the vibe in their life, you know. I actually just recently started seeing a healer, and I stole this from him, but his mantra mm-hmm. is, and I have it written on my fridge, Peace, love, joy, health, happiness, good food, good sex, healing, new ideas, music, art, and laughter. And um, that in I, that order, in that <laughs> order, he actually his his mantra is instead of new ideas, it's new technology because okay. he's a he's an inventor. But um, uh, I changed it to new ideas right. for myself and for Coco. She likes that better too. Well, technology might not be the best. Yeah, well, for and, and an inventor, he ha- he makes really good technology, this guy, that helps people. But I won't get too into that. No, that's a different podcast, That's a I different think. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wanted to, to ask you to wrap up. Um, so, obviously, you're on a completely different game plan now. You're not on the go-to-the-groundlings, get-on-SNL. No, no. <laughs> that game plan is out the window. Do kind you have of. a game plan now? I know. I don't know where or I fit in. Or are you just in. following your own fun? I'm following my own fun. I'm, uh, yeah, I just started throwing up some new, like, 10-minute bits around town. And, you know, maybe I'll take another solo show to Edinburgh uh, in 2020. I started learning guitar. I got a keyboard. Oh, so, so I'm that starting can open to... up whole new avenues for shows. Yeah, well, Once I... you learn some... <sighs> Some chords. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I've been playing for two months now. My mm-hmm. teacher, he's pretty proud of me. Um, but yeah, I would love to incorporate like and some sort of musicality. Like David O'Doherty a run for his money. <laughs> I love David O'Doherty. <laughs> Once you learn your keyboards, he he's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, I don't want to cramp his style though. I don't want to. Well, no, because yeah. you'd be doing it in character. Yes, exactly. I'm, but or maybe my character is just David O'Doherty. Ooh. Yeah, shout out to Dave, DOD, what's up? But if this were if this were kind of the life for you going to Edinburgh every year or every other year mm-hmm. and just creating a new show, would that would that be enough? Would, would that, that be, be enough? Or would that be would that be the, a life that you could look back on and go, "Oh yeah, this was this might not have been the original game plan, but this is good. Oh, yeah. I mean, I love doing Edinburgh and, like, live theater. I definitely also want to start, like, shooting stuff and, like, making, like, short films okay. and all that. Um, but I think as long as I'm practicing, like, my art and, you know, making people laugh and spreading joy. Following that mantra. And following the, the mantra from my healer. Um, that's, that'll make me happy. That's all. I, yeah, that's all. Well, so far, you're doing really good. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks so much.
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first.